0: I don't know about you but I can, with help of my, my mentor, I can process that most of my adult life has been trying to reclaim what was lost when I was a child. Anybody identify with that? So for me, it was my family. My family uh, broke up when I was in middle school. So it's no wonder I look back on middle school and the hardest time of my life, you say, what part of your life do you not want to relive Is middle school? Now, part of the reason is I was 5'6", and all the girls were 6'5". That was part of the reason. And Jimmy Smith's sole purpose in life was to make my life miserable. That was another reason. But the, part, the other part of it was my family was falling apart. And so a couple weeks ago, when my sister Kelly uh, texted us, all of us siblings, and said, the house that we grew up in is being torn down. Um, the property has been bought. It's been in decay for years, and um, she said that right when I was doing. Uh, many of you know I, I love my my art is I love to build stuff, and so I was actually doing a remake of that house. And she says this, and there was a part of me that I know that so much of my adulthood has been about trying to reclaim what was lost there, and I love. Where I grew up. I loved that house. And so I was completing this model I was building of our childhood home. And I thought of this verse in 2 Corinthians 5 1. It says, If this temporary house we live in is destroyed, we have an eternal house from God, not built by human hands, that's coming. And I I, I lead with that today because hope for tomorrow affects how you live now more than any other reality. What you think about where you've come from, your identity, and where you're going, your destiny, it will tell you everything I need to know about how you're living now. If I knew the truth of those two realities, where the beginning point and what you believe the, the last chapter is. And as we close this series today, for those of you who are new, we've been walking through the amazing, would you agree with me, 1 Corinthians 15. How many of you would agree? It is utterly amazing. It is utterly amazing. I mean just wow, the 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 words that pour forth on this text. And what I'm going to say today comes from a place of I have certainty about this as much as you can on earth. And I want to share that certainty. Um, Thursday night, I spoke at Bellbrook Middle School's National Junior Honor Society induction, which is, I love that. And Shelby said, you got 10 minutes, which, oh man, I'm just getting warmed up 10 minutes (laughs) in. Holy cow. It is so much easier putting together a 35-minute talk than it is a 10-minute talk. You ever notice that? And um, I I enjoy it because I can have some fun. And I talked about grit. Gifts don't matter without grit. Purpose doesn't matter without perseverance. It doesn't matter. If you don't have grit, it doesn't matter how talented you are. All the, you, know, you know, graduation stuff. Dr. Seuss stuff. All the places you'll go, you know. Now, if I had broken out into that and said, you know what? I've got this captive audience of parents and students. I'm going to preach the resurrection. All that good vibe I had built up in the first nine minutes of that talk would Even for those who agree with my convictions about the gospel would have left them cringing. Would you agree? Because that's not the context. It doesn't respect the context at all. Now, you may say, well, you're cowardly. You should just always... To me, I don't, that's not respecting the context. But I want you to know why when we go into a school with players box and we know... We don't have to just say, Jesus is risen from the dead. That's the end of the discussion. Give your life to him. That we can build a relationship. It's because of today's content. I really believe that if you have brought Jesus into your being by inviting him through faith, when you walk into that gym to address the National Honor Society of Bellbrook, Jesus is walking in that gym too. I literally believe that. Like, it's not some ephemeral mystical, Jesus in you inspires the middle schoolers. No, I really believe the reality of this world walks in there. The reality of Jesus walks in there when I walk in there and when you walk in there. So, Acts chapter 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. I have about 100 favorites, but it's one of my favorite... Chapters in the New Testament, and Paul the Apostle gets an opportunity to speak to the Greek philosophers, the Greek religious leaders on Mars Hill, the Areopagus. And this is a center of Greek philosophy and and religious conviction and belief. And what he does, he looks around the room, and uh, the, 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 the space, and he sees all these idols that the Greeks have put on the shelves. And it's all their idols. They want to have all the bases covered. That's what religion does. Religion gets digressed into an insurance policy. Let's just make sure we have the bases covered, just in case. And so they literally have an idol to the unknown God, in case they've missed one. They think they've covered them all, but in case they've missed one, they literally have an idol to the unknown God. And Paul stands up and says, you see that idol over there? I want to speak to you about that one. Because I believe there is one God. I believe he made everything. And, and he's going on this riff about that, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep speaking, Paul. Keep speaking. Keep speaking in our national honor. Keep doing that. Keep speaking. And then he says, that God came in human flesh, was killed, and has risen from the dead. And then the atmosphere in the Areopagus went cold. It went cold. Like Ohio in the month of May, it went cold. Do you know why it's called May? Because it may be 70, it may be 20. It may rain, it may snow. You may have the air conditioning on this week. You may have the heater on this week. You know, that's why it's called May. It's bizarre. You know, I I don't ever get used to this. Do you? (laughs) I'm like, what the heck? And he said, I want to talk to you about that God. And the relationships, the rapport he had built with his audience goes south. Look at what he said. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, this God, and we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent and to turn around. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And it says at that point, some of them started to sneer. Some of them started to sneer. And this is this is this is America right here. Oh, you believe in Jesus? Oh, he. We believe in him too. He's one of many gods. He, you know, he's a part. Every every religion gives an angle on truth, a part of God. And this is the problem, friends, because Paul goes, "No. The search is over. The search for the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. It's over. It's over. God has ended this search." By raising his son from the dead. This one means he is separated from every other claim. Now you say, well, wait a minute, what, what, set Jesus, what set Jesus raising from the dead apart? What set him apart? I mean, doesn't, don't other belief systems have their heroes raised from the dead? Doesn't even the Hebrew Christian Bible have people who were raised from the dead? Uh, Elijah raising the widow's son, Lazarus being raised... Well, none of them was raised like Jesus. None of them. As a matter of fact, Lazarus, he didn't, he didn't rise from the dead breaking the bonds and the chains of death. He didn't break death. He didn't give death to death. Jesus did. As a matter of fact, Lazarus would die again. He would die again. His resurrection wasn't at all the same as Jesus'. And this claim is what causes the problem, isn't it? Because I know some of you still are searching and you're here and you're searching and it's great. And you love it that this place embraces people from all kinds of different backgrounds and convictions and everything. But, but you've, you've grown up with the belief that he's just one of many. It's just the one. He's the one you've chosen, but he's one of, he's one of many equals. And you have to understand this. The reason they got killed for this claim is because they said, no, he's not. God has forgiven such ignorance, and now the search is over, and it is not time to search anymore. America, you who believe, oh, aren't aren't we all just searching for the truth? And what could be more noble than searching for the truth? Finding it could actually be more noble than just searching for it. And in Jesus of Nazareth, God, the claim of the early followers of Jesus is God has ended the search. God has ended the search. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Look at this. Remember, we looked at this last week. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. That is so important to understand what sets Jesus apart. Jesus didn't say, I'm a spirit. Woo, here I am. What set his resurrection apart was in a physical sense. Notice I didn't say material sense. In a physical sense, his resurrection broke death. Death is no longer holding me down. I've beaten it. And this is what startled them is right here. Look what it says in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, what were they doing? Well, John gives us detail. In John's gospel, he tells us they had locked the doors for fear that the Jewish leaders might come in and raid the upper room. They had locked the doors. And so what sets Jesus apart, no one ever was raised from the dead like Jesus. What is it? That he was physical and yet he was not limited by time and space as we now understand it. He... The crude way of putting it is he could go through walls. He, 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 this was different. He could go through walls. This was a different physicality. Now, now, when you look at that, you obviously see, as I pointed out last week, the emphasis upon the physicality. And he would later eat fish. His spirit didn't eat fish. His, his post-resurrection body ate fish. And the importance of this, when you go asking questions about what, 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 is, what is life after life like? Well, the answer to that is given like in places like Colossians 1.18, he is the firstborn from among the dead. Or we've looked at verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits. Remember the first fruits was a Hebrew picture of the, uh, the, uh, the fruit of the harvest. The, the Hebrews were commanded to give the firstfruits of what was coming. That you didn't give God the leftovers, you gave the first fruits, and it was the here's. There's more of this coming, and and this is this is amazing because it says that this Jesus, post resurrection, who was unlike Elisha's uh, the widow's son, it was unlike Lazarus. This Jesus transcended what we understand about time and space, and he is the first fruit of you. He is the prototype of your post resurrection reality. Obviously, the number one question we got during the series was, will we know each other? Yes. Because you will be you in a physical way that transcends what you understand about materialism right now. He he moved. He moved through walls. And look at this. The truth is that Christ has been raised up. It says in the message bible, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Now, you know, Hebrews 2.9 says that Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Until you're freed from death, you're not free to live, are you? You're not. I mean, because you always have this, you always have this noose that's just around your neck. And I think it's. It, I never, I, I I don't tend, I, I don't know, hope I don't, judge people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol because without hope, that's where I'm heading. Just get through this life numb. (laughs) That's where I'm heading. Like without hope, I'm drugging out, man. I'm going to shop till I drop. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do whatever, whatever I can to get through this life. I read an article the other day about a guy who, it was a, it was a focus on a home where the family had built a 5,000 square foot I want to say it's not a garage, but a display room for the 12 classic expensive cars they have, nine of which are Corvettes. And it, I mean, the pictures of this were unbelievable. Now, whenever you see someone who has unbelievable affluence that you don't have, set your envy aside for a minute and acknowledge, acknowledge that you don't know how generous they've been. So always remember that. It was like, gee whiz. Yeah, they're obviously not a Christian like I am because if I was a Christian, I wouldn't be spending all that money. Well, you probably would because here's the thing is you don't you don't know. You never know how, how someone like that's been generous. But I watched that. I went, if I didn't have Jesus, that's me. I'm being featured in that magazine. <laughs> with. I know I have nine Corvettes. I have 12. I'm not, I'm not messing around with anything else. And that's me, because, right, it's he who dies with the most toys wins if there's no life after life. Why wouldn't you just veg out or spend it out? Why why wouldn't you do that? And, And so he says, but there is this hope that if you can live within that now, it affects how you live now. It affects everything about this life right now. And so look at what we conclude with in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the the text we conclude with. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So this beyond time and space realm that Jesus is the prototype of, your body's not sufficient for that, your present body. It would be like that cardboard model I built of my childhood home. Saying that's sufficient to live in. Not very long, because if it gets wet, it's done. And so he's saying, You think this is permanent? This is a shadow. This he says in 2 Corinthians 5, is a tent. <laughs> it's a tent. That's what he compares it to. A tent is fragile. And boy, are we more fragile than we think we are. And it's fragile. It's ter- it's not permanent, it's temporary. So so he says, set that aside. Set that aside that this is real. This all over the scripture says, this is a shadow. You're not seeing the real thing. This is a representation. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, but I tell you a mystery. I'll admit, I'm talking to you like someone 150 years ago being talked to about the iPhone, okay? I'm talking to you about something 150 years ago. You go, what? What? Hang him on a stake, because this is a witch right here. There's no way. This is is witchcraft. He's going to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. Remember, remember, heaven is not your destination. Heaven is the place that we enter into, the realm beyond time and space, but you don't have your full body yet. You don't have your full body yet until the last day. You don't have your full reward yet to the last day because the effect of your life is not over until history's over. It sends ripples, generations. And we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Paul uses this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, when we die, we don't. it's not life being swallowed by death. He says it's death being swallowed by life. You, right now, you're not living in the land of the living, going to the land of the dead. You're living in the land of the dead, going to the land of the living. That's a totally different way to look at life. That's the claim of the gospel. That these bodies are decaying. And again, just go to a class reunion, and you'll never have to hear a sermon on this again. And here, I love this. I love this. Where, O death, is your victory? where, oh death, is your sting? Uh, In the Message Bible, Peterson translates it, oh death, take a look at me now. Take a look at me now. Every time I read this, I think of Muhammad Ali. Because Muhammad Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a beet, the great smell of brute and the punch of Ali. Anybody remember that commercial? You know, you got to be over 60 to remember that commercial but some of you will remember the brute commercial where Muhammad Ali took his ability and just and people who knew him said there's no one who could turn a phrase like Muhammad Ali could and and uh, and he had this a way to, to to coin these phrases and that's what Paul's doing here he's trash talking death that's what he's doing he's tr- don't think about that he's trash talking death. How many of you have lost someone you love? Okay. How many of you, you're pretty confident they had put their trust in Christ? Like 2%! You think, okay, I mean, we're not going to evaluate the level of their faith at this point. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a great, great communicator of the gospel. And uh, he married uh, just a beautiful woman young, and they had a daughter, Margaret. And when Margaret was still young, uh, his wife tragically died. And they were on the way to the funeral. And his little five, six, seven year old girl, he's trying to he's trying to find a way to communicate to her this amazing loss, to do it with hope. And they were walking to the church. And a truck came by a little too close to little Margaret and made her uncomfortable, made her jump. And he said that's when it hit him. He goes, honey, um, that truck just came by, just scared you, didn't it? Yeah. He said, uh, did you get hit by the truck? No, no. You know what? He said, you know what you got hit by? You got hit by the shadow of the truck. And which would you rather get hit by? Would you rather get hit by the truck or would you rather get hit by the shadow of the truck? And she said, I'd rather get hit by the shadow of the truck. he says, honey, mommy just got hit by the shadow of death. Jesus took the hit. He took death. It hit him full. But mommy just got hit by the shadow. Isn't that a great, well, I wish I'd have thought of that, man. I wish I could say I was the one that thought of that. But it's just such a great image about, I know for those of you who live your life in fear of death, When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? We are free to live. As a matter of fact, look what he says. The sting of death is sin. That's the stinger but now the the yellow jacket has had the stinger taken out and, and the yellow jacket still pounces upon the victim, but there's no stinger. There's no stinger. The power of sin is the law. It's the measuring stick that says, none of us earns this hope. We are given this through the amazing grace that Jesus took the penalty of our guilt. He took on the truck. He took our place. And thanks be to God, he gives us this victory of enveloping the penalty of sin and guilt and death. And now the reality is you are free. You have won in Christ. Friends, this changes everything. This is why you don't have to get drunk tonight. This is why you don't have to go from relationship to relationship oh, finding, trying to find your identity. That I believe that Jesus died and rose again and, and God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There is this hope that you are now free. He took the hit. Now you may experience the shadow of that hit but you're not gonna experience the hit and you are free to live now. And that's why he says, therefore my dear brothers, last verse in this brilliant chapter, therefore my dear brothers, stand firm on this hope. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That when you hold to this hope and you and you say, Jesus, I'm following you in life, I will follow you through death. I have this hope that just as you broke the bonds of change, you broke death grip. I am going to break that too. Now, don't think about Aunt May right now that you're wondering about her, saying, oh, well, I wonder if that's her hope. I don't know. That's not your problem. Your problem is you. People get off sidetrack on this stuff, say, well, yeah, I know, but Aunt May made great chocolate chip cookies, but she didn't believe in Jesus. Where's she? I don't know. That's God's job. That's not my job and your job. All my job is, is for you to understand that today you have this hope. And it can be yours. And it can affect you down to a molecular level of your being. That's how real this hope is. How many of you, how many of you have a house that you grew up in and you go back to that house? Yeah. And you sort of venerate that house because your mom and dad used to be there. Or a sibling used to be there she's no longer with us. And it's amazing how a place can become so sentimentally powerful when the person who used to occupy that place is no longer there. Because when you do not have somebody, you venerate the place that represents them, don't you? Do you know that they didn't know very shortly where the tomb was? If you go to Jerusalem today and somebody says, we'll take you to where Jesus' tomb was, they don't know. Because 50 years after Jesus died, they didn't know. They didn't know. You know why? Because you don't venerate the place while you still have the person. When Jesus died, there were over 50 places in and around Jerusalem that venerated the site of this is where our martyr was buried. This is where our hero is buried. Have you ever wondered Why? Why? that the tomb of Jesus very shortly after he was raised from the dead. I don't know. I don't know where it is. You know why? Cuz they still had him. Tim Keller said his wife pointed this out to him that he was trying to figure out why why is it that they lost track of where the tomb was. And she says, "Oh, do you remember when the kids went off to college? Before they went off to college, it was it was you'd go in his room, you would go, Jesus, shoes stink." Gee whiz, can't she clean up this mess? Can't she put her clothes away? Then, you remember, remember, honey, when they went to college? And you'd walk in that room and you'd go, wow. I would take those messy shoes any day now. A place is only venerated if you don't have the person anymore. And they didn't venerate the tomb. They didn't venerate the site. It didn't become... We know this is where he was buried because he wasn't there anymore. They had him. They had him. There are two things about the the, the resurrection that are interesting. One is, do you ever ask yourself, why was the stone moved? If he could go through time and space like in a new realm, why was the stone moved? We often think it was so he could get out. It wasn't so he could get out. It was so they could get in because it was the first step in them having him but then the next thing that comes up, the next thing that comes up is this interaction. Suddenly Jesus met them, greetings, he said, and they came to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Seemed okay with that. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So he invites them, grab a hold of me. Like stick your finger in my hole, in my hand, if that does it for you. I don't care, you know, w- touch me. But then when you get to John 7, and Jesus looks at Mary who had fallen at his feet and was grabbing a hold of him. And he says, Mary, do not hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and say to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. You ever wonder about that? Like, why? It's okay to touch me now. But then with Mary, he goes, you know, it, it, it feels as if he's saying, I'm so holy, don't touch me. You might get burned, you know. It's not it. Here's what it is. She says, Mary, I know you want to keep me because you experienced a couple of days of what it's like to not have me. But I got to go away so that everybody can have me. So that everybody can have me. And I believe this is literally true. I believe that when you trust in Jesus, the permanent part of him that transcends this material world that is a, that I tell you, did I mention it's a shadow, it's flimsy, it's delicate the real eternal part of Jesus comes to live in you. When you walk into a gym and you're addressing a bunch of middle schoolers, you don't have to worry too much because Jesus walked into that gym with you. Because why? He went to the Father, and now he is available everywhere. Everyone can have him. Not just Mary. Not just Peter. Everyone, you can have him. By faith, you can activate, by faith, trusting in him, that when I receive him, I have the trans-temporary material, the, the part that transcends the material of this world. I have the eternal part of him now living in me. It's real. It's more real than your decaying body. And to me, I believe this. I believe he lives in me and he lives in you if you want him. You can have him, Mary. You can have him, John. You can have him, Steve. You can have him, Barb. You can ha- you can have him. And he can be with you everywhere you go and when you pass through the shadow someday you will transition fully into a realm that your being is comfortable in because that realm has been living in you since the time you said, Jesus, come into my life come into my soul, change me, make me like you're. Nobody can take him away, away, Dan, that's right. This is is unbelievable. This is why Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Because when I live the Jesus way, For Jesus, by Jesus, I attained the resurrection from the dead. That the more I receive Jesus into me, the more the material that is made of eternal stuff, that when it passes through the fire, it won't bite like wood, hay, and straw that gets consumed by the fire. The stuff that is in me now, it's like gold and silver. When it passes through the fire, it just gets purer and purer and purer and purer. And one day it'll pass through the last fire, the fire of judgment. And what will be left is Jesus, the eternal one, who has been living in me. I don't don't know that we've done a bigger disservice to our faith than to say it's just this belief in the great by and by, that it's an insurance policy. No, no, here's what I want to leave you with with this series, friends. Here's what I want to leave you with. Hope for tomorrow affects our how now. If you believe everybody goes to heaven, all dogs go to heaven, and cats too, it doesn't matter how you live, it's going to affect how you live, isn't it? Like everybody goes in. If you believe there is no heaven, there is no life after life, he who dies with the most toys wins, Hitler, power up. Because that makes sense. Darwinism makes total sense. The survival of the fittest makes total sense. Does that affect how you live? Does that affect how you do business? It absolutely does. But if you believe, that I believe, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins, nobody merits this. Nobody merits this. Nobody earns this, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, and by that, I follow and trust in him. When the shadow of death here, hits me, I don't need to fear because it's my entrance into a glory that is uninhibited by this material flesh. Yes. I have cast it off now. If you believe that, it affects whether you drug out. It affects whether you gotta do all these things to replace the pain of living in a fallen world. I, uh, As I speak, no, they should be done. So my son-in-law and my son just finished the Flying Pig Marathon. They started at 6:30 this morning. So, God willing, they just finished it. And it is such a you know it is such a powerful thing because because it's just such a picture of life, isn't it? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Keep giving yourself to this, even when it doesn't fulfill you. Because it's true, it's true, it's true. Because someday, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store at the finish line. Nobody really knows. But I thought of this this morning. I thought of one of my favorite stories happened on July 4th, 1952. I think of it often. Florence Chadwick tried to become the first woman to swim the 21 miles from Catalina Island to San Francisco, to the coast of California. And on a very cold 53 degrees of water day, can you imagine? Um, she was surrounded by her mother and her and uh, family. She had uh, shark spotters because now we know more than we knew then, the most dangerous sharks in the world are in those waters right there. Very foggy day. She swims, and at a half a mile from shore, she quit. And they asked her, why did you quit? And she said, I didn't quit because I was cold, though I was. I didn't quit because I was tired, though I was. She said, I quit because I couldn't see the shore. And three months later, on a cloud cloudless, sunny day, she went back and swam it two hours faster than any man had ever swam I don't know what you're going through right now. But keep your eyes on the shore. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store. And that hope affects how you will live today. I hope you've loved 1 Corinthians 15 as much as I have. And I hope that you have what Peter called the living hope kept in heaven for you. Amen? Let's pray. Yeah. Father, I pray that all the marathon runners finish right now. And I pray for that gal who's lying on a couch right now with dementia. That today by your spirit, you have transposed into her a hope that is living. Only you know what your dearly beloved here are going through. But I pray we walk out of here knowing that in Jesus We have a hope that is real. It's more real than the temporary, flippant, flimsy tent that we live in. The stuff Jesus is embedding up in our reality is permanent, it's eternal. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay for a few, that you left so that everyone could have you. We can have you and what we will meet someday is going to be the fulfillment of what we have had a down payment upon this earth, a living hope that is eternal. Hear our hearts right now, Lord. Translate the groanings of our hearts. Because of all the things that we can say about life after life, the most important is this, we will have you and you will have us in full. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week, everybody.